Now you can hear me. Oh my goodness. Well, I don't, you didn't know what that was, did you? Sorry about that, everyone. But I don't know why my, I, I, I have the OBS up in front of me and I don't see when it flashes green. It's a good job, actually, because I started the episode with me choking myself half to death. So uh, that's fine. It just means I have to edit out a load of silence at the start of the, uh, the audio-only version. It's fine. You're here. You can hear me now. Oh, my goodness. Uh, hello to everyone in the chat. Hello, we've got Tom, Michael, Raphael, Sean, Gareth, d- d- not me, David. Everyone's here. Everything's well. This is why I have you in the chat. This is why you're here. You can shout at me when things are problems. Uh, Raphael Nicolaus, this episode is going to be pretty concrete. Yes. Um, although not thus far. Anyway, right, yes. We're talking about... Lots of you are talking about... It's, it's going to be a fun techie one. Lots of you have been requesting it. Um, yes, I am not saying a load of things I just said two minutes ago. Um, yes, all sorts of stuff. Um, uh, it's going to be fun. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, what uh, you know? It's episode 145 of mostly British history of concrete sleepers. It, it was a very British history, but actually, um, it's quite international, really. So it's not very. It's mostly. But then, if once we get into the kind of the 20th century, uh, uh, certainly the second half of the 20th century, if I was going to cover every country's concrete sleepers, well, I just wouldn't be able to do that, frankly. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Uh, yeah, my my microphone did decide to go on strike. Uh, this is I I this, I've now forced my microphone to scab to now be on uh, working. No, it's just that OBS is is a dumb program. Anyway, right. The reason that this picture was a, a tr- of a train had appeared without any accompanying um, uh, vocals is because it's episode 145, and that means that theoretically we have to have a, a British Rail class on class 145 to accompany it, but there isn't one. Uh, unless you count the weird intermediate tops that existed before full blast tops, if anyone doesn't know what tops is, there'll be a future episode on tops. We'll get Bob Gwynn on to talk about it. But uh, there was a weird version of tops that that, that got basically ri- ripped apart uh, fairly quickly, and I believe what was the class one hundred three um, was previously classed under intermediate weird tops as the class one forty five. So there you go. But that doesn't really count. So instead, we're going to talk about the B. We've we've got the uh, the Deutsche Bahn uh, class one forty five uh, electric freight locomotive here, uh, hauling an increasingly gauged large pile of stuff somewhere. Look at this thing, boxy little doer. Anyway, there we are. Uh, it's a train, isn't that marvelous? Uh, yeah, there will be a tops episode some so at some point in the future, right? And um, Oh, anyway, we are here to talk about, before I d- d- disappear off into a, into a hole of chaos, uh, we're here to talk about concrete sleepers, of which here is a picture of some. Uh, actually, does anyone guess where this bit of line is? Uh, hello, AP Red. First time listening live in a while. Hello, hello, hello. OBS is a bit of a nightmare. Yes, it is. Uh, can confirm. Hello, Rail Focus. All the fun fit folks are joining. Hello, everyone joining. Um, yes, here is a nice bit of... Um, Uh, rail sat on some sleepers one side of this track has been uh, mostly tamped to alignment the other side has uh, not yet been had its ballast dropped for that to happen Um, this is between this is close to where i grew up Uh, hint hint no it's not east west rail anyway we're going to talk about these things these funny things that are sat underneath the tracks there these these, what 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 on earth is a sleeper all of these questions we're going to get there um gregor mccabry absolutely uh, it only remains for me to um to, to welcome you to um I suppose the first of the of the the first of the festive rail natters, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. 
And as the Intercity 225 fades away, I don't know how loud that was, but that sounded louder than it usually was, possibly because I've pasted in the old uh, the old Christmas one from last time. Anyway, um, yes, sleepers. Here are some more sleepers, but from somewhere else. You can see these things are somewhat ubiquitous, and there are millions of them about. Millions of them. Uh, many, many sleepers. Uh, yes, everyone. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, Yuletide greetings to one and all. Um, before we talk about sleepers, though, we must talk about some news, because there has been some. Um, so here we are. Uh, we're going to start with the DFT data obfuscation that's been going on. Uh, firstly, the DFT mid-strike, we're trying to get away with this nonsense about um, you know revenue from passenger journeys is still below pre-pandemic levels. I mean, yes, that is true. And the taxpayer has funded the industry approximately $31 billion in the last two years. How much has it funded roads, all sorts of other things? Like, what an irrelevant statement. Like, like anyway, as, as previously discussed, I get very angry when I hear the... Um, this hint that the, the government is somehow bailing out an industry that is critical to the fun function of the country. Phasing out old-fashioned and costly ways of working will help get the industry back on track, serving passengers and taxpayers. This is obviously, you know, strike-breaky type chat. The key thing to um, to note here, though, is uh, on their little graphic they provided with the data, you can see here that they've, they've made the, the, the numbers here very, very small. Um, and also, they've put the, the, the 22 here, but actually that's Q4 21-22. So this is quite substantially um they've shown the 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 passenger rail journeys as well not revenue so they're passenger rail journeys not revenue um even though they're talking about revenue and they're showing even even here they're showing that it's getting back to back to um uh, where it's supposed to be also this is like the best part of a year there's three quarters have happened you know up to here then up to here then up to here three quarters have happened since then we reached 99 percent, so we're getting there anyway so data obfuscation funnily enough the or published their data um the same day uh the same same day that the twitter happened um yeah why rail is expected to pay their way when the roads definitely do not look back to our road pricing episode it's quite good on that sort of thing uh, that was a while back anyway here there's some interesting data here talking about um uh, so this is ages ago. Uh, well, no, it's July, September 22, so it's not bad. But you can see uh, this is relative usage. This is still not revenue. But you can see LNER uh, at the top there uh, doing pretty well. Uh, actually, not quite at the top. GC, Grand Central at the top. There's, there's GC uh, there um, uh, doing... So it's 110%-ish, 106% for LNER. Uh, East Midlands Rail is 100%, there's EMR is 100%. Uh, uh, where's, where's Cross Country? Cross Country, Cross Country, and also TPE uh, here. Uh, there's, there's XC and there's uh, TPE. Uh, they're both running 50% timetables or worse, and they're down here. Avanti is down here, there's, there's Avanti, uh, 65%. Uh, not doing great, uh, but again they're running a reduced service and and a shambolic service. So hmm, um, there's the Elizabeth line there. Uh, the Elizabeth line moving substantially more than where's London Overground? Yes, quite substantially more than Overground. So there's uh, there's uh, Thameslink two, Thameslink two uh, there, and there's Overground is here. And you can see that the that pre uh, sorry the the, the the journeys there is uh, 44 million journeys for for Thameslink 2 and uh, 39 million for London Overground so that's, that's quite impressive isn't it anyway some interesting data in there to play with uh, 71% of 64 million uh, for Thameslink is a hell of a lot of passengers absolutely um, so 
Uh, much to consider. And that was a while back. That was still back in, you know, the, 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 the point I want to make is uh, if we jump to, oh, by the way, I've updated this. So so given that we've not got as, as frequent a data set from, from um, and, and also I think it's useful for this overall sort of view to be a bit more of a trend rather than the instantaneous numbers. I've changed this from a seven-day rolling average to a 28-day rolling average. Deirdre set me right. But actually it's quite nice because it smooths and gives you a much better feel for um, the overall movement, the overall trend um, that's been happening. So you can see that things are, uh, so you look up here, you can see that... Um, Rail usage is starting to get to the point of meeting road usage here, which is quite interesting. Uh, so that's quite... But uh, the key point is that all that data, the, the 110% there for several operators, but quite a few over, you know, reaching or over 100%, you know, whole trains as well. And um, that's from back in September where the, the, the number, the line was here, and now the line is up here. So those numbers will be higher, uh, quite substantially higher. Anyway, um... What am I not forgetting? Hello, everyone. Um, so, right. What else about data obfuscation? So all of that to one side. That's less important than this, which is chronic and really, really not good. Um, Helena Horton um, uh, at The Guardian uh, has, has written this piece up, but it, it quotes Greg Marsden and others um, uh, who have pointed out that the government is refusing, despite the ICE being pressured via the ICO, the government is refusing to release the carbon emission figures behind its transport decarbonisation plan. Um, basically, because it's proposing so many road projects, it's just not wanting to publish anything about um, uh, the carbon emissions data because obviously it's going to make it worse. It is obviously going to make it worse, so they just don't want to publish it. Um all of us need to shout at our MPs to publish that data. All of us individually need to send emails to our MPs to get that data published as soon as possible. Yeah, that's uh, it's really critical. So um, DFT, sort yourselves out. Um, what else? Oh, yeah, that's right. So the, um, the, the class 769s, which are converted 319s, uh, proper electric trains being converted into stupid, overcomplicated ones. Stop unelectrifying trains, basically, because these have been a bit of a nightmare, and so they're getting kind of uh, re removed from frontline service, uh, which is a bit of a shame, really. Um, yeah, funny that we're desperately trying to avoid, um, desperately trying to avoid uh, building uh, new trains by the look of it, or doing anything that involves actually creating anything new. Um, and that means that these trains uh, are, are, yeah, they're, they're getting sidelined. Again, GWR saying, oh, we haven't got, you know, in the face of revised customer growth figures. It's like, uh, GWR, uh, hello. Um, where are GWR? They are up here. There is something, let me whack them. There are 76% of, uh, of pre-COVID levels, 76% uh, for GWR. They're 76% uh, GWR and, uh, and still climbing. Not quite sure what they mean by that because these trains are already full. Hmm. Uh, well, let's let's talk about some positive stuff though. Um, those those uh, you know, given given that Viva Rail and this and this generally experiments with refurbishing trains has just not gone well. Uh, just run them as electric trains. Put the wires up. Run them as electric trains. The national. We're going to the national to look at the fact that Scotland is um, is scrapping peak fares in a six month pilot scheme to see what happens to revenue and ridership. This is cool. I like this. This is a good thing. Um, just like the the current um, gender reform bill um, review is uh, and and changes are a good thing. Also a very minor thing. So an enormous 
gender critical turf storm in a teacup situation going on. But um, uh, oh, by the way, a couple of people I was following on Twitter retweeted Tory MPs who were filibustering that. Uh, consider yourselves unfollowed. That's uh, yeah, no, come on now, uh, goodbye. Anyway, sorry, I digress. Uh, peak fairs, peak off, they're gone for six months. Let's see what happens. But I've been uh, for a while saying that uh, peak and off peak fairs are not necessarily a great idea. Um, so yeah, let's see what happens. I'll be watching with this with with great interest. Um, uh, the hat rust high from the USA. De- inverted commas tr- desperately trying to avoid doing anything new. Yes, it's true. Um, so anyway, right there we are. Some news things. Oh, and the last one uh, is go and have your say on the cycle rail travel uh, consultation. The cycle rail working group, um, which Sustrans is a part of, uh, they've launched a public consultation. Uh, go and, and and put some feedback in, like provide real cycle storage both in trains and at stations. Uh, they won't do anything useful. It won't make anything useful happen. But you know, it's helpful to input what you think and at least have it collected into one place. Um, no, I don't generally put my face up for the news. Uh, I can't really remember why, but no, no, no face for now. You're rid of my face for now. Uh, there we are. Cycle, Sustrans cycle consultation. Go and uh, go, go and fill it in. So we have to get to the important questions now, which is uh, if I bring up my miniaturized face. Hello, it's me up here with a, with a little little Yuletide hat on. It's a Christmas hat. Ho ho ho, etc. I have a mince pie down here, which I am actually quite hungry, and I might take a bite off at some point. It's a, it's a mince pie. It's a mince pie. Ho, ho, ho. Um, what is a sleeper, folks? What is a sleeper? We're going to do go full WTYP Socratic method here and understand what the hell things are. We're going to start with what is a sleeper because this is an episode about sleepers. So what is a sleeper? Um, well, here is, the, the, here is a sample picture of a track form. Um, uh, here it is. In fact, I'm going to quickly, let's just, let's just make me pen white. Uh, because I think it'll make everything a bit easier. There we are. White pen. Here it is. So we've got we've got a rail here. There's a rail, and we've got the head of the rail, the foot of the rail, the web. There it is. There's there's the head. Uh, here's the foot. Here's the web. Uh, we have uh, some form of fastening. There we are. See on both sides, applying a tow load into the into the foot of the r- rail. There, uh, you've kind of got an elasticated pad there that between the rail and the and and this this lump of concrete here. You know, this lump of concrete here, though this thing is 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 has has a variety of purposes. Um, but this thing is a sleeper. This is a sleeper. Um, so if we lay them out, these bits out. There we go. We've got the rail. We've got the the a fastening of some kind. Uh, we have the ballast upon which it sits. If we go back and see there's a load of stones that the, the rail's sitting on. A simple form of the railway. Traditionally, it sits on ballast. There we are, lovely. So we've got some ballast. And then you've got this diddle here, which is a uh, apparently called a sleeper. There we are. It's a sleeper. Um, now, what's the point of this thing? Firstly, we have to understand what the purpose of this thing is. Well, there's a couple of purposes. Um, the first purpose number one, is actually when the rails sort of sit here and sit here, it's to keep those rails a very set distance, reliably a very set distance apart, i.e. to maintain track gauge. So that you're going to want to maintain, to make sure that it's resisting all forces both this way and this way to keep the, the rails set to the appropriate gauge. Um, standard a, a standard gauge often is standard gauge, but a standardized gauge of some kind, whether it's, uh, you know, 1435 millimeters or a and other uh, gauge. So, um, uh, the lines, oh, these, these lines, this, uh, here's, the, the lines are nice and thick. That's fine. It's fine. Uh, 
Gareth, if you're watching on your phone, you'll have to you'll have to put some work in. Um, I don't know what I'm drawing here. I'm just, just doing some scribbles. Anyway, um, so we have uh, rail, fastener, uh, ballast, and sleeper. So we know that they, it, one of the things that it does is is maintain track gauge uh, between the two rails. The other thing is um, is what we call, and I think I've mentioned this in the previous rail matter, the principle of load transfer is it's, it's whilst maintaining horizontal for uh, kind of managing horizontal loads, it also has to manage vertical loads from the wheel down into the uh, into the track form. It, so it takes rail, so it takes loads from the from the axle, so from the train down here, there it is coming down here. Uh, the load kind of diddles through here uh, into the rail, through the pad, into the into the sleeper. Um, so it takes those loads and then transfer those loads out into uh, into the ballast, sort of out into the ballast and then out into the wider world uh, as well. So it kind of acts as the interface between uh, the rail, uh, some form of resilient connection to the rail, and then out to the ballast. And ideally, you'd have a little like undersleeper pad here as well, a little little sort of um, thing stuck into the bottom of the sleeper. But no, that's for the future. Oh, you're on the laptop, Gareth. Oh, okay. Um, the answer is no. I don't think I can make the line any thicker. I'm afraid. Uh, let's have a look. Uh, da -da -da. No, that's that's. Oh, our options. No, that's it. Um, so anyway, load principal load transfer. It's about taking those loads, transferring them down. That's fine. Um, the wheel seems quite small. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's diagrammatic, isn't it? I've, I've sketched it up. So, oh, well, by the way, the principle of load transfer is the thing that allows. It's it's about taking all those, you know, uh, enough force that the forces that are enough to 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 basically liquefy steel uh, and transferring them down. So so uh, about a thousand megapascals, one gigapascal um, on this interface here, this one here, uh, about a gigapascal. Uh, which is enough to liquefy steel down to here at this point where you've got um about 50 kilopascals which is uh your skin can sustain that sort of a load so you could support the track under your hand i would not recommend it though um so for mixed stress units oh, going down between megapascals gigapascals megapascals kilopascals ah you'll get over it um anyway so, well, this is a pixely sketch. That's gone a bit weird. Anyway, that's fine. It's a, it's a diagrammatic sketch. You can use your imaginations. Here is some track with the wheels on it in three in three dimensions. Um, so we take an axle load. That's the first thing we do. How do we work out what sleepers should look like? We take an axle load. Um, from that axle load, we can get a th this little diagram here where you can see you can see the little rails here sat on the sleepers. We've, we're maintaining we're maintaining track gauge, um, but also you can see that under each there's kind of a, a pressure. It's almost a diagram of pressure here being applied. So under each rail, you get this sort of this sort of um, uh, kind of W shape of pressure. That's um, the ballast pressure that's being applied into the ballast, and from that. Um, you can work out, you know, if you want, if you're making millions of sleepers, you want them to be quite materially efficient. In the past, they were just a, a single kind of cuboid. Um, but the, the advantage of using materials that you can shape more carefully is you can start being efficient with the materials. So here you, you get what's called a, a essentially a, it's a bending moment diagram. So for those of you who are familiar with uh, engineering mechanics, uh, if you have a bending moment diagram, uh, which is okay underneath the underneath the rails. You've got the the kind of the loads coming in here like this and and, and like this. Really, it's straight down, um, and and that means that you've got kind of you require there's there's more bending going on, uh, kind of here the the kind of the way that it's bending through because this bit's going this bit's going down and these bits kind of want to go up because the ballast is pushing them. So that means that you get this kind of uh, this shape of 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 kind of bending moment within the sleeper. Which in turn, if you kind of flip that upside down, that's kind of the shape that the, if you imagine you've got your rail upside down like this, uh, there you are, if you spin your head around, 
that's kind of the shape of a sleeper, right? So that's how you get the shape. That's how you understand how to be efficient with the materials. That's why the sleepers have that shape. Which then allows you to, you know, there, uh, actually define the profile of the sleeper and mass produce the damn things. So that's kind of how you get to the, the shape of a sleeper. Um, here's what they used to look like, though. So before you could shape sleepers, they were just a cuboid. Yeah, they were just a um, funny little cuboid. Uh, there you can see uh, why were they funny cuboid because they were made out of timber so you can see an outline this is some nice as uh, a, 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 a nice sort of timber sleeper here on this bit there you can see and you can see another one here there you are see timber sleeper fine um, and yeah there you are sleepers load of them lots and lots of them very straightforward when you've got lots of wood available fine do that fairly straightforward wood's quite a good um resilient um material for transferring loads from from the rail down to the into the track system for you know uh pretty, pretty reliably to be honest and they've got a decent life as well um so uh point of note for our international followers uh, a sleeper is also known as a tie but sleepers are not bearers um whilst a sleeper has the kind of the the kind of this shape uh like that oh geez a sleeper might kind of have this shape. Uh, oh, I'm doing a bad job. A sleeper might have this sort of shape, uh, kind of like that. Um, and, and you've kind of got the the, the rail like this. Yeah, yeah, fine. It's on a curve. It's worn. Whilst you've got a sleeper, a bearer um, is generally a, a thing that's a thing that's straight like this. There we are. That's a bit better because you might well have. Uh, you might well have uh, some rails on it there, and then you might have some other rails on it here. These are my awful rails, but you get the point. Uh, as part of S&C. So a bearer is a thing that's flat uh, right the way through, and you can basically put rails anywhere on it. Uh, it doesn't have to kind of be a, a standard thing. A sleeper is the standard one that you get in plain line. So there you are. Um, sleepers are not bearers. So that's what a sleeper is. Hopefully that was a reasonable uh, query. Uh, Rail focus is saying, uh, sort of on topic, when riding on plane lines CWR, what can cause trains to judder? Oh, all sorts. That's many, many, many things. Um, so, uh, yeah, which I, I, I we can't, we won't get into now because it's a, a long and complicated story. Now we have to think about what concrete is. Concrete is um, human-made rock is the easiest way to think of it. It's a very convenient, yeah, it's the most used um, resource on the planet after water. So it's an incredibly heavily used resource and it, it is and we've had it for thousands and thousands of years um it is basically human-made rock that's what concrete is um and it's to be honest moderately useful uh kind of as a material on its own um uh you know but but they're, you know they we only really started using it at scale more recently when we started playing with it and doing clever things with it um um, to, to think about that, we have to jump to 1877 and a chap called uh, Joseph Monnier. Uh, oh, he's French. Um, and uh, this chap, uh, what can we say about this chap? Well, basically, um, he was a gardener, actually. He was a gardener. And um, so there have been people talking about... Before, before 1877, people had discussed the idea of... And there had already been um, uh, sort of concrete using other materials particularly iron and steel to to reinforce it to, to make it stronger um but this chap you could argue was sort of the pioneer of of getting it he, he didn't um he didn't build the first reinforced concrete structure um he uh was just uh, but he was the first who kind of started thinking about how it actually kind of could work and and he was using it not for buildings initially anyway but for plant pots because you know 
banter. Uh, it's the, the banter heuristic of, I want better plant pots. So he started, uh, he got a patent for um, reinforced concrete plant pots and um, and sort of started looking at more advanced systems of, of kind of using iron rods placed in like a grid pattern, which anyone who's done anything with reinforced concrete will be familiar with. Um, and um, although this guy had a reasonable understanding of kind of how the cohesion would be improved and how, how this mesh of, of iron would make the concrete work better. He didn't fully understand why. Um, and uh, kind of to understand, you know, to kind of move us from this guy playing around about the same time. So 1877, uh, funnily enough, was about um, when this guy was granted a, a kind of a more advanced patent for his kind of grid mesh. At pretty much the same time, we hop over from France uh, to the US and to somewhat of a legend, actually, um, which is... Uh, oh, wait a minute. I need my... I need my here he is. Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I've forgotten a key detail here, which is... Um, <laughs> yes. A key detail here, which is that um, he did develop a concrete sleeper. He, he developed a concrete sleeper. And, uh, yeah, it was not very successful and so did not see widespread use. Um, so, uh, yeah, fairly quickly was not being uh, used very much. So that was kind of the end of that. Um, so we have to hop over the pond to the US to um, about the same time, 1877. So we're still in 1877. So this kind of all sort of started happening all at once. Um, and we have to talk about a chap called Thaddeus Hyatt. This guy is somewhat of a legend, really. Uh, he was an abolitionist. He managed to... Uh, Get he managed to rub the Senate up the wrong way to the point where they put him in prison until the Senate was abolished temporarily, and then he was let out. Um, and he was he was campaigning a lot for the rights of workers in his state. In it was in Kansas, I think. Um, and all sorts of in, he has a very interesting life. Um, he eventually, uh, after the various shenanigans and having been chucked in prison for no good reason, he was like, "Sack this! I'm back! I'm, I'm off back to the UK." Uh, so moved kind of moved to London and and in doing so kind of started doing lots of invent. He'd always been a curious fellow, but he started doing various amounts of inventing. And one of the things he invented was, um, well, he started playing with concrete. Um, and as part of his playing with concrete in 1877, he published it was in 1877 he published this report, which is hilariously named um, an account of some experiments with Portland cement concrete combined with iron as a building material with reference to economy of metal in construction and for security against fire in the making of roofs, floors, and walking surfaces. I'm not sure where he's from, but that's, that's, there you go. That's, that's the mouthful of the report that he published. And it was the first kind of scientific investigation and engineering investigation of ferro-concrete or, or uh, iron or steel-reinforced concrete. Um, which is quite cool. It was quite, you know, that converted it from being uh, people going, oh, let's do that, see what happens, to this is kind of how it works. And um, uh, our boy Thaddeus Hyatt, uh, amongst all of his various creations, one of the things he um, patented was um, was that, that, that concrete, the stuff that you walk over a street and there's like a basement underneath and there's like the glass in cells in amongst the concrete so that some light gets through, but it's strong enough that you don't break the glass. He invented that. Um, so there you go. Uh, what a guy. And there's his report. Um, we have to hop forwards again, though. We have to hop forwards once more to 1884. Um, why, you might ask? Uh, well, because that wasn't the end of our story. We still got. We're just talking about reinforced concrete. We're not. We're, we're not at sleepers yet. Um, and actually, this this chap here is um, is 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 familiar to 
close followers of the pod because this chap is called Ernest L. Ransom. And, and he is indeed a ransom of the ransom dynasty of Ipswich. Um, he was one of the, I think he was the, the son, like one of the sons of the, the original ransom of, of, of Ransom and Rapier Limited, who, uh, among other things, built Ipswich Buffers. Um, there we are, Ipswich, hashtag Ipswich Buffers. Um, yes, he, he patented, uh, this chap, in 1884, patented twisting the metal so that it would bind better with the concrete which was a pretty radical thing because it was starting to understand exactly how this binding mechanism of the concrete uh, and, and reinforcing concrete worked. Uh, and that kind of leads to what we all know as, as rebar, this kind of ribbed uh, metal, uh, kind of either twisted or, or kind of set in ribs like this, um, that helps the concrete to kind of bind onto the reinforcement mesh. So all that's fine and good, right? You think that's all fine and good. So you think, ah, I can, I can see how this is lining up. I can see how this is lining up. So that was uh, 1884. Uh, oh, actually, wait a minute. Let me just very quickly uh, uh, just check a number in case I've uh, screwed up the numbers, which... Oh, I haven't. Oh, I forgot these came... I didn't think I had. This, this, they're all coming in pairs, which is very funny. So, the same year as uh, Ransom patented rebar, in 1884, we had the first rollout of concrete sleepers that would last a bit of time. And it was on the Afford and Sutton tramway. Um, over on east of the country uh, in the UK. Um, so it's the very first use of concrete sleepers that, that would remain in place and wouldn't disintegrate into dust in five minutes because, you know, it's a tramway, it's very light. But they used, um, they actually used uh, concrete sleepers on their, uh, yeah, on the, on the Afford and Sutton tramway there. So we have, finally, we have a railway application of reinforced concrete of some kind. So that's exciting. Um, jump forwards a little bit further. Um, 1896, and we're on the uh, the Reading Company's railway, uh, just at the time that they were transferring into being the Philadelphia and Reading uh, Railroad. Um, they also started using concrete sleepers. And this is the first use on a mainline standard gauge railway um, of uh, of concrete sleepers. It was in 1896, the um, Association of Railroad... Uh, what is it? ARIA? No. ARIA, American Railroad... Uh, something that, that I'm going what, to... What do they stand for? Um, the US Railroad. There we are. The uh, American Railway Engineering Association. That's the one. They're kind of like the Permanent Way Institution. Um, the American Railroad... Engineering Association, there we are. Anyway, uh, they've reported on the time, and they're like, oh, look, this is exciting. I wonder if it means anything for the future. Um, for the UK, we have to jump forwards a little bit further. So from 1917 onwards, we'd seen more... Uh, actually, we'd seen the uh, the a bit more... Well, I'll tell you what, let me be very specific about what happened in, in 1917. So there have been experiments in 1917 on the, within uh, Ireland... On, um, on the use of, uh, of concrete sleepers. But again, not hugely successful. In terms of the first mainline use in the UK of, of concrete sleepers, it was in 1928 on uh, the East Coast mainline, what is now the East Coast mainline, on the, uh, on the main line of the LNER. Um, yeah, it's, it's flying Scotsman because, you know, obviously. So, um, yes, they, they started using uh, concrete sleepers, but again, they're, they're, they're considered generally unsatisfactory. The reinforced concrete would kind of just crumble around the, the rebar. The reality was it was not well designed for... The concrete was not well designed to cope with the various different kind of three-dimensional loads that a railway would submit to it, with all the ballast pushing it from below. Uh, and we'll kind of talk about why that is momentarily. Um, let us jump forwards again. So that was 1928. 
we're kind of honing in onto the UK now because by this point things are starting. You know, the experimentation is starting to go a bit further afield. But uh, in 1941, we were in the midst of you know the, there's the LNER getting smashed a bit. So we were in the midst of uh, the Second World War, the war that was second in uh, uh, after the first one. That's that's how these things work. Um, uh, is he the Hyatt Hotels man? I'm not sure if he is a Hyatt Hotel man, Hotels man. Is that is that actually uh, is that actually who he is? Um, uh, Thaddeus, uh, there we are. Yeah, people are really enjoying the accent there. Definitely, it is an adorable little tram. Yes, um, the jumps are getting bigger. Right, anyway, 1941. Um, there's a, there's a number of issues in 1941. Chief among them, lack of timber. We don't have much timber. Um, serious problems in getting hold of hardwood specifically. So softwood, not such a problem, but hardwood, decent hardwood for timber. It's very difficult to, to get hold of and, and, and not be using for other, other reasons. Um, so there were kind of further experiment, experiments. 1941, we saw more reinforced concrete getting put into use. Um, uh, and um, they ended up kind of, they were testing these in Derby, which is interesting because a lot of slab track tests later, you know, 20, 20 years later, um, slab track was being tested north of Derby. So Derby, they were trying them out, but actually the first full test of reinforced concrete sleepers, again, was being, of a new design, so so kind of updated with what had been learned, was um, on the, on the what's now the West Coast mainland, the LMS, uh, near Watford, actually, and they survived, uh, they put 100 sleepers in, they survived for 10 days. <laughs> so disintegrated into dust after about 10 days. So again, dead end, not good. Reinforced concrete, not providing a good material. Uh, indeed, getting converted into dust once more. A year later, though, some different progress was uh, happening um, because forget reinforced concrete. Reinforced concrete was not doing the right thing. Pre-stressed concrete, however, which we will explain momentarily, was actually providing some answers. And in 1942, um, some... Uh, Sort of, sort of, there's some experimentation with creating what's called a stressing bed, which is a thing where you pull a load of tendons, set concrete onto it, release them, and then you create uh, pre-stressed elements. And you can do them in you do them in a long line, so you can do lots of them in a row, and then you cut them, and it's all very clever. We'll explain that shortly. Um, as a trial in 1942 to create these, and indeed these turned out as the War Department um, sleepers. Here they are, some of the uh, pre, some very early or the earliest pre-stressed concrete sleepers in use, uh, certainly in the UK. Some of these developments were happening elsewhere in, in Europe as well, but um, at this point we were still reasonably ahead of the curve. Uh, so yeah, pre-stressed concrete uh, sleepers starting to be used. War Department uh, con uh, pre-stressed concrete sleepers. Um, they were so successful, by the way, these just worked. They worked fantastically. They uh, all work on reinforced concrete sleepers in the UK. It was just abandoned. They just gave immediately stopped it. It was like, that's a waste of time. Pre-stressed is the future. Uh, and so they expanded um, a, a, a factory um, by um, uh, at uh, near Tallington, actually, on the, near the East Coast Main Line in, in 1943. Um, here it is, near Tallington. There we go. There's the... There's, there's a little thing here. These work actually. My white pen is going to be completely useless at this point, isn't it? Let me just get the old, get the old red pen back. There we are. The works here. There we, there we are. You see them here. There's the works. This was the Talented Sleeper Works, um, and now sadly, or fairly recently, sadly abandoned and converted into making Thames Tideway tunnel segments. But you can still see it. You can still see trains with concrete tunnel lining segments parked up in these sidings. This is where. 
a lot of sleepers were made. Um, in fact, uh, like 35 to 40 million pre-stressed, pre-tensioned uh, monobox sleepers have been manufactured uh, out of this one and the one in Birmingham that was that's, uh, Washwood Heath that's been uh, demolished for HS2 and not replaced yet because of planning reasons. Um, so there we go. Uh, they, they did it. And, and here's kind of what the factory looks like. Fairly new looking factory. I think this is after it had been expanded by British Rail. So you can see the East Coast mainline here. You can see uh, the, the, the kind of the works can see the back of the works kind of uh, there's the back of the works and there's, there's that's what that looks like you can see there's there's that building and there's that building and there's another building behind it little building behind it big building little building yeah map map don't map don't lie you can see the sort of funny shaped rails to allow them to do the bits and pieces they need to do there we are very clever uh, and piles of sleepers all over the place piles of steel uh, steel for the tendons it's it's all very exciting lots and lots of stuff um to manufacture sleepers um free stress sleepers so it, it, it had started. It had started. Uh, by the way, Dowmac, as that company became known, um, they were, uh, the original company was Dowsit. Um, I don't know what the Mac bit was, but uh, Dowsit was the original company, hence they became Dowmac. Here's a very retro uh, poster of them advertising the fact they were um, uh, having, the, you know, supporting the railways being built in, um, in, in Iraq there. Uh, very nice. Um, but there we are, yes, um, Damac Concrete Limited in Stamford, England. That's their, their headquarters. Anyway, um, fine. Marvellous. There's everyone looking very excited with their uh, concrete sleepers. Glorious. Let us, um, <laughs> let us press on. Because it's time to talk about sleepers. It's time to talk about what sleepers actually kind of went into squadron service, if you like. Um, a, a key question. Um Yes, the, the old BR concrete sleepers are awful to maintain. Yes, we're, we're going to get there, don't worry. Um, are any of these early ones still in use? Because that photo looks rather recent. Uh, the running theme you'll find through this is pretty much every sleeper that you, I'm going to show you. And I don't have that. I sadly don't have pictures of every single one. I can strongly recommend. There's a great website that I should have put in the in the in the chat actually. That is the the Manchester Model Railway Club have a really nice um, little uh, website. Uh, and a little kind of page on their website that goes through the history of concrete sleepers really neatly. Um, and quite a lot of the dates that I've picked out are from a mixture of here and from other sources I have. Um, but for the most part, the, the numbers here um, are from the from that website. So it's a really good website to go and have a look at. Uh, lots of photos. I haven't used lots of photos because they're all very low resolution. Um, and I didn't want to use their photos because I've got my own photos. But I picked out a few of my own pictures that you can see um, of some of these. But I've seen almost all of these out in the flesh. Um, and the running theme is that pretty much all of these are still out there somewhere. And most of them, apart from the more recent ones, are a nightmare to maintain. <laughs> uh, if nothing else, just because having lots of different individual uh, bits that, that are not particularly standardized isn't very useful. So, um, very, let's go big face very briefly. How are you all feeling about sleepers? Before we get into the, into the, into the good stuff, are you all feeling excited about sleepers? Because uh, it's, it's, it's there. Uh, I'm now just also rearranging this because I need to get this up. There we go. Oh, there, yeah, good. So, uh, any, yeah, any questions on sleepers? No, uh, I don't know if he is the Hyatt's Hotel man, actually. Uh, people, someone Google that and we'll find out. There we are. Uh, glorious. Right, okay, no questions. Fine, you can get rid of my face and my little Santa hat, which I'm going to wibble around there. You can see me wibbling my... Um, people feeling... Raphael is pumping out the, um, the 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 sleeper puns like there's no tomorrow. Right, let's let's crack on. Um, 1944. So before the the Second World War is even finished, 
the those War Department sleepers got started getting rolled out at scale um, in order to facilitate massive renewals work required to move a load of people and kit pre D Day. So we started seeing these sleepers getting rolled out. Um, those those the War Department ones, the 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 the, the this one started seeing these getting rolled out at scale. Um, in order to basically deal with the fact that not only in, in all the military sidings that were being built to deal with all that logistics, but also on the main line, um, particularly across the, the GWR network, but also the Southern Railways network as well, uh, just to move all the kind of people and pers- you know, personnel and, and, and material uh, required for D-Day, you know, this, this enormous work. And then likewise, you know, Market Garden later on, these enormous logistics, logistical efforts, you know, the railways moving more people and things than they ever, ever had um, up to that point. Uh, just an enormous effort, and and it was disintegrating tracks that couldn't be replaced quickly enough with with timber, so they were using concrete, and and this kind of led to the first sort of, if you like, um, let's call them uh, the first squadron series concrete sleepers out on the the GB rail network, the E series as we call it, and and the E series basically covers um, bullhead rail sleepers. So uh, they were produced, this series produced from kind of 19, uh, 1944 to 1954. Um, so for quite a long time for what, can I, what I can only describe as a hellscape of a sleeper. These are horrible. Bullhead rail and concrete sleepers do not mix. Good grief. Um, so um, let's talk about how these are put together because uh, um, someone asked the question a moment ago. Uh, Katie Fenn, concrete sleepers are more interesting than watching the Scottish Tory party still trying to derail GRA reform in the Scottish Parliament on the other channels, so to speak. Absolutely. Yeah, Katie, do keep us posted. I'm hoping that that should be sealed up and done by by the end of this episode, to be honest, uh, perhaps uh, naively. But um, yeah, screw you to everyone who's filibustering the uh, GRA reform in, uh, in the Scottish Parliament at the moment. Um, right, so... Who was it who was raising it? Uh, Damak on Barholm uh, Bar Road was formed by Harry Dowsett, who lived in Greatford Hall in 1943 as Dowsett Engineering Construction, later working with Mackay. WW is providing us with some excellent history. Thank you so much. Um, there we go. So, someone else. Uh, ah, yes. Uh, IC3. Uh, these old BR concrete sleeves are off to maintain. So, what IC3 was referring to there was what you see here. Um, this here is, um, oh, rather, sorry, this thing is a through bolt. Now, you might think, how, how does that work on a sleeper that you've just put on the ground? And the answer is, badly. <laughs> so they weren't quite sure how to get this to work. And so what they did in the early concrete sleepers was basically a through bolt that would have a plate um, and then would, would kind of just you screw it to tighten it to attach the, the uh, you know, the chair or the, or, or you know, whether it was a flat bottom rail base plate. Uh, some of them had insulation, so they had additional insulation to, to in third rail areas. Um, and then you had, some of them had screw plugs like this, which is where you still have a hole that goes right the way through the sleeper, but you plug it up with like cork or rubber or some stuff. And then you screw it in rather than having a threaded bolt like this. So those are the different options. Um, and... Uh, this is very faint. I can only apologise, but it's essentially a conversion of the thing off the Manchester website. And I, I couldn't. I was going to sketch out myself and time. Uh, time got ahead of me. I'm going to need this to be white, aren't I? Um, time got ahead of me. But here it is. If I just grab white, there we are. This is what the first sleeper looked like. A very slender little thing. There it is. Uh, and the, these were the E1 and the E4 uh, sleepers. Uh, and they uh, they had a chair attached with uh, two through bolt holes. You can see the, the little holes here and here. And here and here, that's where the, those bolts were, were kind of attached through. Um, and they were manufactured through to 1954. 
Um, uh, nightmare moments in these diagrams. Yes, correct. Um, uh, yes, and you're right that these diagrams, by the way. Anyway, right. So, and they look like this. Here are some on the Wensdale Railway uh, that I photographed when I was doing some uh, overseeing some ultrasonic testing um, a few years back. And good God, don't do this. Do not. It's hell. These are hell. They're horrible. Um, even for heritage railways, they're a nightmare. So, concrete sleeper with a with with a bullhead chair. Uh, here you can see, yeah, it's a bit faint on the old white here. I know for the pictures, it's fine. You can see the bullet chair. Um, and uh, the rail sat in it. And these, why are these a nightmare on bullet rail? Well, bullet rail is very flexible and um, concrete is not. These are, this is this is pretty much banned track forming network rail now because it's so bad for vibration, for, for kind of essentially damaging the rail, uh, kind of exacerbates any flaws in the rail uh, because it's too rigid. It's too rigid a system. Um so, uh, so that's what there we are. That's an E1 sleeper right there that you can see. Marvelous. We've got to talk about pre-stressing though, because I've kind of glossed over it up to now. But let's talk about what the hell pre-stressing actually is. So let's talk about pre-stressing. And to talk about pre-stressing, first we have to have just imagine, if you will, uh, two little bits of like here we are, a little bits of uh, some nice concrete, um, and we are going to apply some pressures to them. So the first piece of concrete, we're going to apply some compressive forces. We're going to squish our concrete. Now, concrete is very, very strong in compression. So if you apply some compressive forces, this is good. It likes this. It's very strong. Concrete makes very good pillars. Uh, it's very strong, um, particularly stocky pillars. Concrete's very good for that sort of thing. If you've got something that's in compression, concrete's very happy. If you take two sides of concrete and uh, pull it, however, this is bad. Tension. The concrete will just pull to bits immediately. It is like masonry. It is not designed to be in tension. It is designed to be in compression. Um, and thankfully, in things like columns, you generally don't put columns in tension, so that's mostly fine. Um, okay, you, you do, actually, when they're big and complex loading going through them. But uh, broadly, concrete, compression good, tension bad. How does this apply to a beam? Uh, you know, this beam might be a beam between two, two columns, you know, for a bridge... Or it might be a beam that is surrounded by uh, ballast uh, as part of, you know, with, with, with uh, two rails above it loading it up. You know, it, it, it kind of acts like a beam in that sense. You know, it's having loading going through it. What happens when you apply some load to said beam? Um, apply the load. Well, if you can imagine uh, in exaggerated form, the beam will bend in some way to a greater or lesser extent. And what happens when you bend a beam is that up here... You get uh, you get some nice uh, some nice compression because you can imagine the fi if you imagine there are lots of fibers the top bit is squishing together because you've got the compression uh, you've got the bending so you've got some squishing bending uh, and compression going on here this is good we like this however here uh, we have tension so up here you've got compression you've got compression 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 up here fine compression down here uh, you have got uh, you've got tension. This is bad. You have lots of tension because you can imagine you've got those fibers being pulled apart because they're stretching as the beam bends. This means that you get, you know, you could for concrete, you just crack the thing up. It's going to disintegrate. This is bad. How can you fix this? Um, well, what you can do is you can you can put through. A, a little tendon like this, a little tendon. And what you can do with that tendon is actually if you pull pull both sides of it. Um, uh, you know, pull both sides like that and then set the concrete around it and then release that that means that if you then release it there will be the concrete having set around that tendon will kind of essentially trap those the forces of the thing wanting to so the tendon wanting to snap back to its original position can't because it's surrounded by the concrete which means that that tendon will apply 
compressive forces uh, like this. It's a nice compressive forces uh, in here. Lovely compression, 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 compression. Uh, nice compressive forces uh, through, um, which is good. So you're pulling that in, which means that when you do apply the load on the top, um, the, all of the that that tendon is stopping. Firstly, it's helping. You know, it, it helps stop the thing from bending as much. But also, it means that any of those compressive forces in the concrete get kind of cancelled out by the the the. Sorry, any of the tensile forces in the concrete get cancelled out by the compressive forces in the tendon. This is good. Um, uh, we like this. This is a useful tr a useful effect that helps us to. Um, suddenly turn what is a useless material for sleepers into a very useful material. So that's how they work. But how does this look in practice? How does this actually look in practice? Owen O'Neill was asking a question about how the ends of the tendons in pre-stressed concrete are sealed. Um, it's a good question. Let's have a look, shall we? So uh, we've got our tendons. We've got some nice tendons here. We're going to stretch them out. Uh, we are then going to... So there we are. We're stretching the tendons out. Ooh, stretching them out. We then set our sleeper around you know the concrete sleeper we set it around those tendons we then uh, release <coughs> we release the 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 kind of the, the 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 that pulling force we kind of release it the, the tendons will snap back but within the concrete they can't snap back they want to snap back but they can't because they're surrounded in concrete the concrete is bound uh, binded onto them which means that that concrete is being pulled which means that you get that constant compressive force throughout the sleeper making it quite strong um our tendons taken to or above the yield point. Are they high carbon steel? Uh, they don't have to be high carbon steel. No. Uh, uh, WW, there are a variety of um, uh, options for where you position the tendons, but it's quite, uh, that's a complex analysis to work out exactly what the optimum position for it is. Um, and it, it varies. And actually, generally, you won't just have them all in one line. You have some, I'll show you in a second picture. You have some, generally have more at the, the bottom fiber, the kind of, um, kind of at the bottom fiber of the, of the beam, if you like. And then you have a couple further up into the body of the concrete as well to kind of, because the loads aren't just, that. you get a variety of loads. Um, so you need to kind of account for that. So there you go. Um, and you, so you actually, essentially end up with constantly with a, with a, a conc uh, you know, sleepers that have a compressive force within them, a natural compressive force within them, pulling them together. Marvelous, isn't that glorious? And hence you have the concrete sleeper. Um, and here's a nice picture of some being laid. Uh, I don't know where these are being laid. I think possibly Airdrie Bathgate. Anyway, um, and, and this will allow me to answer Owen's question. Um, so if we, we can actually see some nice uh, nice G44 sleepers here, we'll get to what that means momentarily. Let's zoom in on some. And you can see here that actually we have got, uh, we've got one, two, three, four, five, uh, six tendons there, which I've, I've highlighted them all white, so it's impossible to see. Um, and what you can see, if I get rid of that scribble, you can see that they are just exposed to the elements. They get rusty, and that rust essentially acts as a protective layer. Um, and by the time you've got ballasting around them, it's not, you know, it, that doesn't act as a, as a, as a problem, really. Um, they're compressed in by the concrete, and it, it, it generally isn't an issue with, with uh, you know, sometimes you, you, you can apply a, a cosmetic layer of, 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 of kind of concrete on the outside to protect them. But it's not necessary. Um, generally not necessary. So um, there we are. I've answered some techie questions there, hopefully. So there we are. We've worked out what pre-stressed concrete. But hopefully that was a reasonable explanation. So let's jump from the E-series, which is very short because everyone realized very quickly that that was bad. And also, the, the, you know, British Rail were starting to roll out flat-bottom rail, you know, continuously welded flat-bottom rail, but certainly flat-bottom rail as standard, which then moved us from the E-series to the F-series, which accommodated £109, £110, £113 flat-bottom rail. And this series, the F-series, was it 
manufactured from 1955 right the way through to 1999. Um, that's the F-Series. So, so we talked about the fact that, you know, and the F-Series included some of these uh, old designs. So the through bolts, insulated through bolts and, and screw plugs, because some of the F-Series had base plates on top. So they didn't just have a direct fast, you know, a bit like the chairs for the bullhead, the flat bottom rail sat on base plates. So, um, but we did and will indeed uh, momentarily uh, move on to, let me just check my, let check my little slide order here because uh, it gets a little bit fiddly now, this bit. So I need to make sure I get it correct. Um, uh Yes, good, fine. Oh, um, we had uh, so we got these ones for the base plates, but also we've got a load of new chaotic range of new um, uh, of new fastenings here. Um, we have, uh, and this is just a sample. There are more. So you've got um, uh, BJB, AD, SHC, RNB, and CS3 fastenings. All these different uh, fastenings here. You can see kind of some, how some of them f work, function with the with the sleeper on these little sketches. So again, you're kind of building on the, the the BJB builds on the through bolt idea. The AD here actually is 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 kind of bolted into the the the, the, the concrete. Likewise, the, the SHC set into the concrete. The RNB is another through bolt, and the CS3 had a very simple, in theory, simple design, but it was actually maniacally impossible to maintain so hello jackstone has welcome to welcome to live rail matter hello um so oh by the way rail focus chris it's not rebar it is a tendon so these aren't using rebar they are using um they're actually using kind of uh, steel tendons so almost like like rope or kind of um cable wound up and then released i've never actually seen the tendons stretched out but they it's not it's not rebar it isn't this isn't reinforced concrete it's pre-stressed concrete so uh, there you are a bunch of those and that gives us our long list of different <laughs> this huge long list of different sleepers from the um from the beginning of the f era so the if you like the 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 first flavor of f series sleepers so we have got so from like 1950, so these are from 1955 onwards, but we had a variety. So we had um, F7 to uh, F7 sleepers, F10s, F11s. These are all kind of different. So the, the, the F7 sleepers had a plate and a mills clip. Um, F10s and F11s had BJB fastenings, which we just looked at. F13s, F14s had Dean fastenings. Uh, and these are all kind of manufactured, almost not manufactured up until the early 60s, by and large. Uh, and you right, right, right the way through, so F7, 10, 11, 13, 14, 16, 17, F19, uh, which was SHC hoops and clips, um, and up to the EF21. So the EF um, was a uh, essentially a shallower depth uh, sleeper, providing a, a, a slightly different depth for, uh, which was used actually in, in West Coast electrification um to, to, to provide a little bit of shallower depth that was closer to a kind of a timber sleep at the time and that used bjb a slightly sh shorter shaft uh, bjb design as well and then a weird quirky eccentric type of sleeper is the cs3 sleeper which was a weird experiment that managed to make it into the second generation of f sleeper uh, so into the, the the second generation of the f series sleepers um there uh which was in 1971 and even though it was a trial they're bloody everywhere and they're a pain in the backside oh now we do have to talk about something all we have to talk about is i have to get myself ready on the old quick edit now uh, what we have to talk about is oh, this is going to be potentially quite loud so that's fine we have to talk about pandrel um there we go. Oh, good. It's not loud at all. In fact, it's very quiet. 
There we are. Because I forgot to put the Pandor sad effect in. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Uh, so yes, that's uh, that's Pandrel. Uh, I forgot to put the sound effect in, to my great regret. So yeah, you can all enjoy the um, the thing. The, the 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 tendons are indeed wire cable. Yes. Uh, more on that later. Anyway, we have to talk about Pandrel. Uh, we have to talk about Pandrel. Anyway, there we are. That's I did the the the, the audio gag. Thank you, Pandrel. Anyway, right. Let's talk about Pandrel. Let's talk. Uh, let's jump back to nineteen fifty. Well, in fact, around about nineteen fifty-seven. Let's jump over the over the sea, not to the U.S., but to to Norway, because the um, the Norwegian state railways um, were having some discussions. Actually, they someone internally had designed some uh, some a new fastening which they were going to go with, and that someone was not a chap called uh, Perpander Olsen. Um, Perpander Olsen had designed a different system. That was not a a sort of a a a, uh, a sort of a spring hoop type. It was like someone else had designed like just a, a basically a, a thing that you a elastic spike that you hammer in, and they thought that was better. Perpanda Rolson had come up with a better idea. Um, he had d d developed a thing which uh, would come to be known as the Pandrel Clip, um, and he thought, ah, oh, you know what? Screw you guys. I'm going to the UK. Uh, and I'm going to take my product to British Rail. And so he did. And it's one of these sort of strange situations where someone brings a rejected foreign uh, innovation to the UK uh, and we embraced it. Damn, we embraced we embraced this thing hard. Pandrel clips, oh my goodness, they became absolutely ubiquitous. So having looked at them, how easy they are to install how easy they are to to kind of uh, deal with, you know, you, very quickly with a pan pull, or if you're a lunatic with a hammer, you can install these things or or, or knock them out. They um, they provide really a decent tow load onto the the foot of the rail for continuous welded rail to make sure that the the rail you, you minimise creep forces. Um, these things are brilliant. They're easy to manufacture. They require a very simple, you know, it's a very simple fastening uh, system. Uh, it's brilliant, absolute genius. Uh, here's one attached to a sleeper for um, so you can get a feel for it. Now, what did this do for our concrete sleeper as well? It, it helped stop this proliferation of crazy different, uh, you know, huge variety of designs uh, into a very simple design, which is where you have that hook, this sort of hook thing here. Uh, let's see this hook here. Uh, this is embedded into the concrete, uh, down to the concrete sleeper. Uh, you then fasten a little, uh, the, the, the PR clip, um, of which, as you all know, I have one behind me. Uh, in fact, I've got the, the golden pandrel clip is behind me. You can see the golden pandrel clip over there. But here is one that's not golden. It's an authentic red PR clip. That's what they look like. There is a, there's a PR clip. It's a pandrel clip, the original pandrel clip. Iconic. Uh, it's a bit bigger and heavier than you might think. But railways are bigger and heavier than you think when you stand next to them. Um, all hill pandrel. Yes, the uh, that's what it looks like. And this gave us an enormous proliferation of different sleeper types which you might think wouldn't happen given we found a good standard but actually the needs and desires of uh, or, or the requirements of these um it's a heavy thing uh, the requirements of these sleepers we started needing more from our railway and so the designs were never quite right um however you can see all these sleepers still in service to this day uh we start with the f23 which is which was the first of the standard pandrel sleepers and actually has proliferated pretty well and is still in massively extensive use um across the across the network uh f for example 
Uh, all right, we'll get to it. Anyway, well, there's a picture which I'll show you momentarily of some F-23s. They're still in use on the East Coast Mainline at 125 miles an hour. Uh, so that's the F-23. The F-23 is kind of unique because it's got this sort of sloping shoulders either side. So you can see these little, these little sort of sloping shoulders uh, kind of here and, and here. All the rest are sort of flat shoulders. Uh, mostly the F-25 has a slight shallow, but the F-25, you, the thing that defines the F-25 is this is this sort of narrowing in the middle that that, that you spot. That, um, that that's the defining feature of that. But all the others have have uh, flat sides. The only one with a with a sloped shoulder is the is the F-23. Um, but all of these F-23, 24, 25. Uh, sorry, the F-25, uh, which is a, a shallow depth. The F-27 became so the f-23 was pretty ubiquitous through through modernization but the f-27 became the post-modernization sleeper of choice and the f-27 really was the the main sleeper used in britain through to the mid 80s so it there were a lot of them around and the f-27 got some developments as well the f-27a uh, and b uh, kind of two uh, developments here uh, that you can see the kind of the a and the b they're fine uh, again ef-28 is the shallow depth um, or they are, and they also, you can see some of the variants here also have, uh, you can see these holes here are for third rail areas. So if you're wondering why these little four holes here, they're for attaching insulator pots to for third rail. Uh, the F-29, uh, weirdly quite a lot of variation on the F-29. I, I've never worked out why there was so much variation on the F-29, but I suppose it became the ubiquitous shallow depth sleeper for a while. Um, quite a lot of those around the F thirty three not so popular. The F thirty six. I'm not sure when some of the some of these ones these these sort of shallow depth ones. I'm not sure of their initial dates of arrival. But these were from sort of the mid sixties. So the the post modernization. Really, these are all post modernization. But certainly these were um, uh, all post beaching uh, sleeper designs as part of British Rail kind of stepping up not not modernization plan but continuing its modernization after beaching um and then in 1983 there was a a new sleeper uh announced which was uh the f40 and the f40 was really basically the f27 um but just ever so slightly modernized they they kind of raised the the middle bit a little and they they kind of widened and shortened it a bit they did made some tweaks to it to 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 optimize the uh, the uh the, the designer sleeper, but the the F twenty seven very much remained the the Victor sleeper for a very long time. Here are some F twenty sevens. Look, there are uh, these probably F twenty seven Bs to be honest. F twenty seven BSs. Uh, this is New York actually on the uh, on the line out to Scarborough, and you can see uh, steel sleepers with uh, with a different fastening altogether on the other side. But on this side, F twenty sevens. You can see the the PR four hundred one A clip there, um, uh, and there is, and and they they. They are they are everywhere. Huge numbers of them everywhere. Are the clips made of a rust resistant steel, or do they rely on coating to protect them? Uh, answer being uh, both. Uh, so the originals were just uh, they just they they kind of rust hardened, and then they kind of were pretty indestructible from that point onwards. Um, newer ones, I, I would guess, ones made kind of through the eighties onwards, um, like this one, have like a, a kind of a plasticate painted sort of covering. So uh, I mean. Uh, can bring this up on big face again so you can see this one has i've got a, a, a non-cover but you see this one's kind of got a uh let's fo focus fo don't focus on me focus on there no it'll never do it anyway you can see it's kind of got that that kind of covering on it you can see it's like a plasticky covering uh let's see how can i focus on not me if i duck out a shot will it work anyway you get the, you get the picture um 
Yes, they are, they are brilliant. Graham Harris, you're absolutely right. They are they're they're a fantastic invention. The Pandora Clip, really brilliant. Uh, and 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 they're the kind of these these like um, tweaks to the sleepers were were essentially to to accompany us needing more out of our railway. Um, so we tried to keep things standard as much as possible because standardization is cheap. You can just churn out, you know, Tallington can just churn out enormous numbers of sleepers, but it never quite worked that way. Oh yeah, here's the picture on these. On the, this is a picture I took on the East Coast Mainline during the possession. Um, I was out doing some inspections, um, and uh, and you can see, oh yeah, look, it's got the slopey shoulders, which means this is an F23. Uh, these are old sleepers. These will have been laid when the. Um, uh, these are being laid in, in as part of renewals for uh, for getting imp for improving speeds for the HST uh, most likely. Uh, so you know it's uh, pretty impressive, pretty impressively old, but they're still doing it. They're fine. Uh, yeah, you know, see them here. These uh, you know, PR four one A clips, fine, doing their thing. They're grand. Uh, what's worse here is the fact there's about one hundred sixty to one hundred seventy millimeters of cant through here, which is not ideal. But anyway, that's another story. And here's that EF twenty EF twenty five is one that I've spotted. In fact, if you're a real nerd, you can see this is on the SPC lines, uh, which will be north of Bedford at fifty six miles, three hundred forty five yards. When I was out doing some track inspections back in twenty fourteen, nine years ago, golly. Um, anyway, uh, here's an EF twenty five. Yeah, just if you want to see what that looks like, it's got that funny sort of uh, that funny sort of shoulder. These are pretty pretty recognisable. Again, there aren't there aren't that many of them around because they. Generally, just in areas where you need a shallow depth. I think there were for a while there were some in Leeds Station actually. If you've not seen these before, um, anyway, yes. So um, marvelous sleepers, many many sleepers. So that's that really covers quite a sizable chunk of the of the, the 20th century. Um, jump forward to 1997. Actually, I think these were developed in 96. But the the fancy so 60 years after Pandrel did its first thing, and this is now in the museum, they released the F41 sleeper. Uh, and why did they do that? Well, because they'd come up with a new fastening, a new type of fastening that was not the uh, PR clip or the E clip that replaced it. Um, the E clip had come about in the in the late seventies and through the eighties. Um, uh, I don't have an E clip here, but I do have. Or, or do I? Oh, wait a minute. Can I do this without pulling my entire kit? Over? No, no. I've got a load of insulators up there, but that's not much use to anyone, is it? I, I think I put all of my XP wicket in a bag. I need to bring it back down here. Um, no, no, all, send in all of your questions. I'll do big face momentarily. Um, I'll do big face in a sec. So F41, uh, there it is. There's the F41 sleeper. Um, and this introduced the fast clip. Here it is, the fast clip. Uh -huh. um, the fast clip being an improvement on the PR and Eclipse because it enabled automation, it enabled automa automation of, of uh, or, or more easy automation of the laying of, of track. And here's a kind of a CG render of the latest iteration of the fast clip. So the, this this involves actually, ironically enough, a bit more plastic, less metal, which um, reduces the car actually believe it or not reduces the carbon impact of the of the sleeper, um, makes it a little bit um, more resilient as well. Uh, this is the latest. This is a nice 3D graphic of the latest version of the fast clip sleeper here. Marvelous. Um, and so that was in 1996 or 97 that we, well, it was 1996 that the F41 sleeper was introduced. It was basically an F40, but with a fast clip housing, not a uh, an E-clip housing. So, so yeah, it's worth saying that like the, the, the F40 and indeed a lot of later F27s started using the E-clip, not the PR401A. Um, the E-clip looks a bit less like a knot. It, it is a little smaller. It's a little thinner. Um, so it's a slightly more optimized design. You know, they 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 they, they modeling uh, Pandrel kind of came up with that second design. Um, 
Oh, and if, so a thing happened then, a thing happened that's going to lead into um, kind of the end of this era, the F era. A thing happened. Uh, we've talked about this thing back in episode 66, which I thought was more recent than it was, but good grief. That's episode 66, which is ages ago, which is why isn't standard track gauge four foot eight and a half inches. A fun episode. Go back and watch it if you haven't already. But the, uh, we refer to a specific thing, and that thing happening is that for ages, sleepers have been manufactured, the whole F series had been manufactured not at 1435 millimeters, but at 1432 millimeters, because the engineers at the time, for some reason, the P-Way department thought they could solve hunting by reducing track gauge. They didn't. They made it worse. Finally, Derby and, and research and science got its way. And in 1996, uh, standard track gauge was in the UK was reverted back to 1435 millimeters. And from that point on, all the sleepers that were Fs had to have this funny number put on the front, which is incredibly confusing if you're asking four or five of them. Um, this is why people. This is why engineers write five number, uh, five F forties uh, like that. Um, this is why we write five number uh, because you end up with five at the start of the code and it's very confusing. Anyway, uh, we end up with the five series. So the five F, the five F series, the five F forty, for example, is an F forty but with a uh, it's fourteen thirty five, not fourteen thirty two, um, and it relies on the pan clip. And then the five F forty one was the 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 fast clip version. So there we go. That's the end of the F series, though, because... Oh, actually, no, it's not. It's not. It's not. Oh, there's a pretender to the crown is going to arrive. Let's jump back to 1967. Um, across Europe, a different major major fastener supplier had been manufacturing fastenings. Um, also, it was interesting on these. As you can see a plastic cap at the end of all the tendons on them. You can see the little blue there, a little plastic cap being used. Uh, so there are alternatives to, to prevent that corrosion. Um, if you've got questions, by the way, at me in, and I'll go back through and scoop up Mark when I do big face. I've seen a few questions, but please at me in because then I spot the questions and I can go through and answer them. So if you feel free to just send the same copy paste the same message again with with, your, with my name added. Anyway, pretender to the crown. Because it's Voslo. Voslo are the pretender to the crown. And, and so in 1967, they had invented their, their W-clip, the, arguably their iconic W-clip, which is our, uh, iconic across the Germanosphere. It was invented by... Uh, um, actually, what was his name? Was it Friedrich Meyer? I think his, his last name was, was... Professor Meyer was the inventor. Anyway, uh, someone can go and find his, his first name. Uh, it's uh, Professor Meyer invented the, the W-clip. Um, and... The uh, it kind of okay here. So here it is it gets incorporated into um, uh, BR or rather actually privatized railway uh, systems um, as an alternative to Pandrel, and um, and I don't know exactly the year when they start appearing, but here's what a Voslo clip looks like. Here's, here's what a W clip, a Voslo W clip looks like, um, and it has a very it's quite a different approach. Uh, so it uses a, a, a sort of a, a well for the ones in the UK it uses a standard chair screw fitting to be attached so it's a bolt that actually goes down into the into the sleeper rather than the the, the, the pandrel housing clips so it's quite a different method these are now standard on s and c in the uk so we've moved away from pandrel for our switches and crossings so you know there are benefits to this 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 different system so um before we kind of tipped our hat to the uh, to the to the f series sleepers we got, and they didn't have a F5 in front, they didn't have a 5 in front of them because these ones were 1435 by default. We had the F42 and the F43, which were both Voslo W-clip sleepers. Um, two extra sleepers to add to the F-series. So there you go. 
Fossil or W like VW? No, possibly. No. Anyway, so there we are. That's the end of the F series. But there's some there's some there's a there's some W clips in action there. You can see. Actually, this is on Slav Track. Uh, it's on some poor Slav Track. Um, but there you go. You can get an idea of what it actually looks like. So we have to jump forward to the G series. That's the next G series. That from 1999 onwards, the G series. Oh, before we do that though, let's get uh, let's go big face and answer some questions because we've had a few questions coming through. Uh, let's see. So. Um, Davidson uh, Parkway Model Railway. I understand F40s also allow a deeper and more resilient rail pad. Correct. Earlier F-type sleepers only allowed shallower pads. So the F27 had a 5mm pad. The F40 has a 10mm pad. We'll bring that up momentarily. It's a very good point. You're, you're right, Davidson Parkway Model Railway. Um, ah, answering an entire model railway. That's uh, 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 an honour. Yes. Uh, what else have we got? Da -da 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 -da. Another how far apart do sleepers... Uh, Raphael Nicolaus asks, how far apart do sleepers have to be or can sleepers be and why? Uh, it's a very good question. The spacing of uh, sleepers depends generally on what traffic we're submitting them to. But by and large, modern track systems in the UK will have a you know, modern continuous welded rails and, and, and track uh, has 650mm spacings between the centres. So if I... Let's go uh, small face momentarily. And I'll just sketch that. So if you have your rail, if you have your rail here, and you've got your sleepers underneath like this, uh, here uh, like this, uh, da, 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 uh, six fifty millimeter centers is uh, that uh, between the center of the sleepers. This distance here is six hundred and fifty millimeters. There we are, six hundred fifty millimeters. My dreadful handwriting, but I think you get the point. Um, and uh, so, you know, generally with, with, with that, for, for not high speed, but high traffics, uh, high air speeds, you'd expect 650 or 600 millimeter spacing. So even tightening up and essentially you stiffen the track form. If you tighten those sleepers up, reduce the spacings, you, you, you have a, a, a stiffer track form, which copes better with um, higher loadings, you know, um, whether it's heavier, faster uh, trains. Uh, whereas in sidings and stuff, you can drop that those spacings down to 700 millimeters. Um, so there you go. Mackenzie James, first live. Uh, thanks from Australia. Hello, Mackenzie James. Uh, from the other side of the planet. Incredible. What a, what a magical world we live in. Um, uh, da -da -da. David Stevenson, do not apologize for asking questions. It's what it's all about. It's what it's all about. Would I be right to guess the sleeper life is way longer than the rail life? Uh, you're correct. Yes, sleepers can last 40 plus years. Um, rails, I mean, particularly those ones on the East Coast mainline that I put up earlier, the F23s, those sleepers will have outlived a lot of rails because post Hatfield, everything got renewed. And before that, things get renewed. Yeah, rails can be lasting, you know, five, ten years um, if you're lucky, uh, even less if they're getting worn out regularly in curves. So you're, you're absolutely right, David Stevenson. Uh, doo -doo 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 -doo. Contact with the rail on the new clips uh, looks quite small. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Another question. Why the changes? Loading, speeds, price, efficiency. Yeah, a mixture of all the above. So uh, understanding slightly different needs. There was a, a good example given there about uh, by, by the model railway about uh, thicker pads. So understanding the need for a little more resilience in the system to improve performance. Just little tweaks and things, little changes in requirements, you know, slight tweaks. I'll, when I bring, I bring up the, the Hamburg 49, the standard, show you what the different sleepers are. You'll see how subtle all the little differences are. Ideally, they'd have not done it quite like that but they did and fine we'll we'll live with it. We'll, we live with it we do live with it um, do concrete sleepers significantly reduce thermal expansion compared to slab track and traditional tracks um they don't make any difference particularly to thermal expansion if you mean if they improve the lateral my i need to clip this this light on better it keeps melting and falling off the back of the monitor um if by that you kind of mean they they're they're good at maintaining the lateral stability of the sleepers We'll get to that at the end. Uh, it's a good question. Store it up. Um, 
Uh, AP Red, what considerations uh, would be taken for um, uh, concrete sleepers with, uh, oh no, ca ca casters, ca what? Oh, structures? I'm not quite sure what casters, casters anyway, it's, it could be a, an acronym. Anyway, uh, with significant thermal expansion, i.e. long bridges, that's less of a problem for the concrete sleepers. It's more about what you do with the rails. So you can you can fit special expa structural expansion joints, or you can uh, rely on uh, zero longitudinal resistance or, or low longitudinal resistance clips. So so having a PR clip like that, or or a, a fastening like that that doesn't apply any tow load allows the rail to move freely. There there are lots of things you can do with that. Anyway, right. I've, I've gone small face because we need to press on. I do keep sending you questions, though. I'll, I'll answer them again at the end, or I'll scoop them up uh, when relevant. So I'm going to drink some water as well. Oh, oh my goodness. Right. 1999 to today, to the present. The G-Series. So the F-Series was all about, um, basically, most of the time, the F-Series was about 113A, or what's known, nowadays known as 56E1 rail, 56 kilograms per metre, or 113 pounds per yard. Um, the G series was the was developed for uh, Sen sixty, if you like, so sixty E one or sixty E two flat bottom rail. And indeed, nineteen ninety nine brings us the legendary G forty four sleeper. Hooray! Da, 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 da. Uh, the G forty four is what is arguably no, not arguably at all. It is the modern ubiquitous sleeper. So whereas once it was the F twenty seven, and I'd say really the F twenty seven. The F-40 never really got there. You still find many more F-27s out there. The F, the, the, mostly because the, the F-27s just didn't need renewing, so there weren't really many places to install F-40s. The G-44 is essentially an F-40, but a little longer, um, and uh, and it, 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 can, it can house... It's 1435mm, and it can house 60-kilogram uh, per metre rail, um, and to fit, but you can fit a 56E1 into it, but you just need a slightly different insulator to do, to kind of expand the, the gap a little bit. So the G44 sleeper. So we had, oh, no, I don't know why I had, so yeah, don't forget about Voslo. So we've got the Pandrel uh, Eclipse still in use, Pandrel Fastlip very much in use, and Voslo now on the scene as well. And so um, this gave us a new range, a new range of sleepers. So the G44 very much, uh, there it is, the G44 there. Uh, very much the king of of sleepers. Uh, the G forty five is the same design, but with the Voslo W clip. The EG forty seven is essentially now the ubiquitous shallow depth sleeper. So the EG forty seven is the standard shallow depth sleeper. Uh, the EG forty eight is uh, the Voslo version of the EG forty seven, and the EG forty nine is um, is the it's kind of shallow depth, but also the third rail variant. Uh, the G fifty and the EG fifty one are both in trial. Um, they are both Voslo, uh, they're kind of new Voslo uh, sleepers, but they're again, they're they are a variant of the G44. So that's them. That's that that be all the sleepers. And and, and actually, I don't have good years for when all of those newer sleepers are coming out. Uh, there are some sleeper nerds out there. So the sleeper nerds that are out there, uh, uh, do do let me know on the numbers, and we can we can update. But it gives you an idea. Basically, since 1999, there haven't been a huge number of developments. I suppose the developments have been more in some of the ancillary sleepers, which I haven't included here, by which I mean things with ducts in them or cable management sleepers, the legendary G55, um, which I haven't put on here, but the G55 has a cross-section that looks looks like this. It has a cross-section that looks like this. Uh, well, there it is. Uh, and within here, uh, it says the, the G55, and it actually has two uh, fast-clip fastenings for the rail. So the rail is going like this. 
Uh, and in, I don't know why I put it at an angle, but anyway, I have because my sketching's bad. Uh, in here, you can put cables. You can put a few cables, fine. Uh, and, and that allows you to get cables across the track in a way that the tamper doesn't smash to bits. So very useful. Um, there are some questions. We've had a question about... Uh, I'll tell you what, I'll scoop the questions up at the end. Some of them are getting answered already, but I'll scoop the questions up at the end. So there are lots of sleepers, but the G44, here it is. Here's what it looks like. Um, the reason this doesn't have a nice shiny uh, head is because it's in the uh, it's in the the rail college, the, the Doncaster National Rail College. Um, but it, it's yeah, that's the rail has got the nice crystalline structure on the outside protecting it because it's not been worn worn shiny clean by rails passing over the top. But yeah, here is uh, here's some Semex G44 sleepers with a weird italic sort of uh, font for the G44. But but that so be it. There they are. And then they have a code so you know which mold they've come from and. Um, you know, so it's all they're all fairly fairly care, fairly careful quality control on these things. Um, but that, that's it. Rails, G forty four sleepers, fast clip, marvelous. Um, and here's an EG forty seven. In fact, uh, actually, with a fairly bashed up looking, you know, fairly well, you can't see that arrow, but it's a fairly bashed up looking sleeper um, there. But you can sort of see it. Kind of, it's got the the holes here for these 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 four holes here for um, uh, for third rail uh, insulator pots. Which is very nice. Uh, there we are. So that's it. That's that's the, the sleepers. And here's G forty four close up. If you want to have a look at the, the way the the, the kind of the, a close up of the fastener, um, these are FC one five zero four. The the stat the original um, uh, fastener type. Oh, there's there's a whole book of fastener types. Oh, the Pandrel fastener book. Let's go big face momentarily. If anyone who's a real nerd about you can you can go to things that pan. You can request these off the website. I think. And uh, there's all sorts of stuff about fastenings. There's some, there's the fast clips in there. The lovely fast clips. Go. It's not going to focus. 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 No. no. Uh, and there's a whole load of colourful pan clips as well. Look at all these. You can see the difference. There's the PR401As or the PR clips on one side and the E clips on the other. You can see the difference. See that there's a slight difference. They curve in in a different direction. They're a bit less wibbly. Uh, you can see there's there's a few there. There we are. So that's the um, that's the the. Pandrel Fastening Systems book. Edition 9 is the latest. Actually, no, the latest one is a different one. The latest one is is the 2021 edition, which is they've made it, they've made it less, they've made it a bit floppier. Uh, and it's all I mean, they probably organized it a bit better, but it's not quite as not quite as much fun. They've got rid of a lot of the um yeah, they've, they've, it's kind of not as much fun. They've got rid of it. So I, I prefer the prefer the previous edition, so I'm glad I've kept it. I've got an I've got an, an even older one. In here as well, like a really old one, the Edition 8 one here, which uh, at some point, along with a load of other stuff, I'll raffle off for charity, if you still want it. But anyway, there's various Pandrel fastening booklet stuff. Anyway, fine. Uh, oh, white. Oh, yes, right. So the, there's, there's this handbook 49, the various pages on all those sleepers, because all of them are still about, so we as engineers have to have an understanding of them. Um but before we go and have a look at the standard, uh, let's answer a few more questions because quite a few have just come through. Um, let's see. Uh, Marvin TP Android. Uh, I guess wood and steel st uh, sleepers are now all gone from main lines and most all small lines. Nope. Oh, no. We're still installing uh, heck loads of... Um, well, firstly, wood, steel is, is, is still roll, is, is used as new. Um, we are... If you remember to the... We did an episode we talked about it, didn't we? Even sleepers, timber sleepers are most are, are now kind of being deprecated from the, the GB network. Network railer replacing the composites because they've better whole life performance. Um, but we still have loads of timbers out there, and we still install timbers new. Although we're, we should be moving towards composites. Um, 
Uh, loads of steel sleepers out there still uh, and, and getting installed new as well for lighter tracks, although they're sort of not in, in favour particularly. Um, loads and loads around. Yeah, loads and loads around. Um, timber sleepers often get used as a transition sleeper between, say, steel and concrete. Uh, loads and loads about. Um, Inch and Aberdeen show one location. Yeah, there's loads. Yeah, the, the location early, by the way, was between, was, was the Inverurie end of it between Inverurie and... Um, well, Kintour, it's now an open station, isn't it? So that, that end. Um, uh, any other materials used? So, yeah, composites, uh, fiber-reinforced uh, fiber foam urethane is a good example of a composite that's used, but also the, the part bench plastic, as I, as I call it unfavorably, uh, gets used quite a bit now. Um, uh, that's the replacement for timber, actually, that one. Uh, what else? Uh, yeah, steel is a good example. Uh, even concrete itself. Concrete, there are challenges with concrete, which we'll get to momentarily, but we're starting to develop better concrete, so sulfur concrete, rather than uh, the traditional method of making concrete, which is quite carbon intensive. So, yeah, um, we'll talk more about that momentarily. But for now, we must return to um, get my small face up, because we're going to talk about uh, this standard, which hopefully none of you can see in too much detail. This is merely an, an, to give you an idea of what the standard looks like and how much information there is in here um, about the different standards, uh, about the different sleepers, sorry, uh, and, and kind of all the information about them. So you've got, you've got the E's, the F's, the EF's. Uh, here you can see all the different masses and, and, and dem principal dimensions and the method of securing them. And you can see there's all these different mills clips and, uh, and sort of early pans. Uh, there we are. And then the, ne kind of the next load we get are... Um, so the E10s, F10s, golly, lots of them. Right through to the F23s. Um, cast in malleable iron shoulders, superseded by F27. Yep, there we are. So you can see all the stuff we've said here coming through. The CS3, there, continue there, more and more. All this stuff. F27, F40 here. Um, yeah, just... What's funny is that you can get an F40 with a fast clip, but also F41s exist. It's, it's mild. It's, it's a bit chaotic, this. But uh, yeah, all of this, There's so many sleepers, all these different random ones as well. These like strange ones. All of these, by the way, you can see they've got the, um, they've got. So some of them have uh, pre-stress. So let's see. Some of them have. I'm trying to think of the way to word this better. So the, you've got the pre-stressing tendons uh, here. Um, yes. So the the tendons, which are uh, sort of steel. I don't know, are they steel bars? And then later on, you see we go from tendons to, so the tendons here, number of pre-stressed tendons with diameters, go to strands. So we go from tendons to strands, um, which are uh, slightly different. Some designs of sleeper use multiple wires formed into ropes or strands, um, and those are included. So we go from tendons, which were metal, to strands. There we are, strands. And you can see they're all traditionally all strands now. We use strands for everything. Um, and then you hop forwards to, you, know, you get the fives here, the five series, the five F40s, uh, blah, blah, blah. Voslo's as F41, different gauges. You see all this variety. And then we get to the post-1996 designs of G44 onwards. And you can see we've got these, um, here we are, lots of, uh, lots of information about these. Um, uh, these ones are for mounting different uh, magnets for signaling systems, for, for LUL systems and stuff. Uh, all sorts. You know, for the for that's LUL spec fourth rail, so it allows presumably where there's an overlap between network rail and fourth uh, and uh, where network rail basically have to provide fourth rail because it's a network rail thing with LUL running on it. Blah blah blah. Uh, Voslo fastening is type W14 if for the real Voslo nerds out there. Um, yes, LU do use some different sleeper types, but they do use 
um, they will use network rail spec sleepers because it makes sense to use a sleeper that's already pre-designed. You don't want a, a separate one, but often they use the shallow depth ones. Um, what other questions do we have? So there we are. That's that's it. That's our that's our, our little dip into the standards, uh, of which there are many. Oh, to round out, we kind of round out the big question, which is which is really um, uh, yes, that's a very good point. So we just had a question from Phil Two Hoots. Who, uh, so I've been all of the ones you've seen here are what we call monoblock sleepers. So you have the, uh, the I don't like I do keep drawing such a dreadful rail. There we are. It's a bit better. Um, monoblock mono because mono means one. But there are in existence quite a few that have uh, that are more like the 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 railway blocks that Stevenson saw on the Stockton Darlington where you have twin block. There we are. Uh, 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 uh. Twin block sleepers like this, twin, uh, twin block sleepers, um, or bi block. Sometimes, occasionally, they're called. So you have the kind of concrete bit, and this bit is can be like a collection. It can be like two rebars, or it can be like a, a kind of in, in plan. It can be like a, a sort of a, a kind of a, an L section on on an angle, or it can be kind of two bars, or you know, there are different designs. HS1 uses these. We don't use them much. There are there are a few about, but mostly we use monoblock. Um, anyway, there we are. So good question. Yes, uh, do our European neighbours have similar sleeper standards? Uh, filter hoots asks, or or are they different between each country? Mixture. Um, generally, you get big pan-European providers. So Voslo produce a load of sleepers, but but different railway companies do have different demands, different requirements, so there are some variations, but generally you'll get, someone will, will, will bid for it and they'll provide a certain number of, of sleepers and they have to match the specification of the um, of the of the railway uh, being built. So, lots of queries. Um, oh, uh, everything that's under the Barbican is separate because that's slab track, it's different. It's not sleepers, it's slab track with different sorts of uh, arrangements, boots and all sorts of things, uh, you know, floating slab and all sorts under the Barbican. So that's a slightly different discussion. We did a slab track episode a while back, which you can go and watch, actually, which is well worth watching. I know there's some, as a fan of slab track watching tonight uh, or or listening later, uh, the slab track episode is, is well worth going and having a listen to. Um, uh, F-23 sleeper spec was basically copied for the Australian SRA heavy duty sleeper designs in the 80s, says uh, 0.011. Thank you very much indeed. Very interesting. Um so, uh, yeah, what was I saying? Are concrete sleepers good? And kind of connected to that is Raphael Nicolas's question, which is, uh, which sleepers are better, steel, wood, or concrete? Um, they all have different uses, so there's not one that's better because the different circumstances require different materials. But concrete sleepers are very good because they have, they have a, they are, whilst they do take more, they're heavier, so they require more carbon to move about, they require more carbon to construct because of the concrete, they also last longer. They also very good at provide. They they require less. The track requires less maintenance with concrete sleepers because they hold the track. They heavier, so they hold the track in place for longer. They resist forces better. Um, they provide a better railway for for higher tonnages, fast higher speeds. So there's a there's a there's a kind of a whole life carbon cost, whole life capex discussion and consideration, or whole life sorry opex consideration that needs to be totex whole life totex. Both capex and totex and, and opex need to be considered together. Capital cost and operational cost need to be considered as one totex to understand total expenditure to understand that the, the usefulness or um, or you know, ways that you may or may not want to use different types of sleepers. But concrete sleepers are very good. So if you get a picture up of these G44s again, uh, here we are. A nice bit of ballast. You see the ballast all around them. 
A lot of reasons why concrete sleeves are pretty good is because, so this is with the ballast excavated around. You can see here, let's uh, change the color pen. Uh, da -da -da -da, in color, let's go for, let's go for a bright yellow, shall we? So you can see here, we've, we've excavated out from underneath the sleeper here. So we've, we've excavated the ballast out from underneath each one. You can see sort of the depth of the sleeper for starters. So you can see that it's quite a deep uh, sort of uh, a deep sort of uh, section, actually, to give it that mass about uh, about 300 kilograms, 285 kilos. Um, is that right? Something like that. We, we can find out precisely by looking here. Uh, sorry, 308 kilograms is the G44. Yeah, 285 is its depth, I'll bet. Where is it? 285. Yeah, 285. Sorry, it's width. It's 285 millimeters wide. I'll do it. Anyway, so you can see that um, the ballast rubbing up against the end of the sleeper here, the ballast, um, you get this really nice lateral restraint. Of, you get a nice big cross section to push into the ballast. You get reasonably good skin friction on the sides as well. You get a decent amount of, of, of resistance from the skin friction on each on each sleeper against all the ballast there. And then of course underneath, and the underneath of the sleeper is the bit that the concrete's poured into. So that side's kind of the rougher side as well. So that beds quite nicely into the concrete. Although far better for that to be meshed with a, an undersleeper pad, which then really neatly beds onto the matrix of the ballast and, and, and extends sleeper life by 20% or more. Um, so lots and lots of use, uh, lots of positive things about concrete sleepers. They are, they, they do last, you know, if, if looked after, they can last almost indefinitely like genuinely like they, they last as long as you like the concrete sleepers are will outlast the ballast they will outlast the rails um the, the, like concrete sleepers there's, there's a reason why there's loads still out there is because they are concrete sleepers are essentially indestructible they're very very good um whereas that isn't necessarily the case for other types of sleeper uh, Mackenzie James, concrete sleepers don't, sure don't catch fire like the wooden ones do in summer in australia we regularly have many days in a row over 40 degrees celsius well indeed absolutely um, I've heard that metal sleepers are only suitable for lightly used lines as filter hoots. Um, for lightly used lines, as the voids beneath them make tamping difficult and this leads to uneven track. Is this true? There's a whole episode on this because uh, yes and no. The commonly held understanding of them is yes, they are more challenging to, to manage, to, 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 to install and, and, and particularly to then maintain track geometry on. Um, but that gets challenged by the manufacturer, funnily enough, uh, and by some people who've used them and, and think they're a really good idea on rural lines because they're lighter, they're easier to, to move around, which obviously saves carbon and, and makes insulation easier when you can travel, move them around a lot. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, Rail Focus pointing out the benefit steel sleepers, they can be placed by hand during Wrexham Bidston track renewals. All the steel sleepers were placed by hand. Yes. They can be automated as well, but anyway. But the, the other good thing about these is they can, they're can they pretty robust and they can be auto, part of an automated system. You know, fast clip is, is automated as well. Oh my goodness, there we are. Let's stop my waffling and uh, take us to the end bit. Audio only, uh, people. Thanks for listening. I don't know how well this worked in audio only, but um, yeah, uh, it was a podcast and my throat is already running uh, very thin. I don't know why. Anyway. Um, someone was moaning about me sniffing a lot in a, in a previous, like an episode from like 50 episodes ago. Um, I'm not apologising for that. Uh, obviously, it's not ideal, but everyone there on there seemed to be all right with it. So, you know, uh, it would be a case of it not happening otherwise. I'm not going to do it. Out Either you have the podcast or you uh, with me sniffing or you don't have the podcast. And none of you here, here and now listening to it or watching seem to mind. So anyway, that's fine. Although I'm not sniffing. I just have uh, emptied my throat and made it very hoarse. Patreon.com slash Gareth Dennis for um, supporting this to continue to happen, particularly as um, as next year arrives and time will be even tighter for me. So, 
You paying me helps this to happen. Uh, thank you for, for that. That's very helpful of you. Uh, PayPal.me slash Gareth Dennis for a loose change in abuse. Uh, and Gareth Dennis could EK slash Discord for the YouTube chat to continue um, in... Um, uh, continue in earnest. Katie Fenn is providing us an update, which is that the rest of the amendments will be debated this evening. Final debate on the bill tomorrow. My goodness, it's being dragged out. Oh, I really thought it would be done today. Oh, yes. Um, and, uh, oh, big shout out to the Royal College of Nursing and everyone, all the nurses out on strike today. Um, full solidarity. I mean, just for nurses and ambulance workers to be, you know, paramedics to be out on strike. Like, these are people who are, who live and breathe caring for people. For them to to, to, to want to make a statement like this that they know puts people in, in, at risk of harm, being in harm's way means that they clearly have weighed up there is a bigger threat at the moment and that is that we cannot do our jobs anymore. We are not able to do our jobs anymore. Forget pay. We are just being worked far too thin. So um, shout out to Royal College of Nursing. Um, oh, uh, yeah, related to that is an interesting little TUC titty showing that um, workers are being paid less in real terms now than they were 14 years ago. Uh, yes. Not doing great in Britain at uh, this point in terms of uh, wages. Really not great. Uh, very bad indeed. So, uh, yeah, join a union and, um, and, and and all that good stuff. Next week, uh, we will, I'll, I'll do big face in, in a second, by the way. So feel free to line up any questions. Next week, it's proper Christmassy, because next week, Emily Turner's joining us again. We had such fun with Emily on our um, Edible Stations uh, episode that um, I just asked Emily to come back, and we have no real plan. I have a, no idea how this episode's going to work. I'm going to do um, a load of adventy things that we will... There'll be a rail natter advent that we will click and uh, and little videos will play and Emily and I will discuss them. They will be irrelevant. Some friends might pop up. Um, I, I plan to kind of try and do another one of these the year after with fun things from friends. Uh, yes, we'll see what happens. But Emily's joining us and it's going to be glorious and we're going to have a lovely time and we're going to drink... Uh, well, I'm not going to be drinking anything alcoholic, but I will be, <laughs> uh, but I will be drinking something assimilating an alcoholic drink, um, and uh, and having a, a lovely time with Emily, who hopefully will be drinking um, a substantial amount in a big cocktail glass. Um, here's hoping. Anyway, that should be a lot of fun. Let's go, big face. Oh, my throat's absolutely gone. My mince pie remain. My anemic mince pie remains unconsumed. Um, next week will be live. Yeah, all live ones because I'm at home this Christmas because baby so we're we're at home not traveling so they're all live no no pre-records because the pre-record is going to be happening at scale when the baby arrives and i need to pre-record a few of those anyway i have pre-recorded a, a couple but i need to pre-record some more anyway katie thanks for keeping us in the loop um on what's happening in hollywood uh rafael nicholas you're very very welcome um i'm glad you enjoyed it uh Gareth Williams, did I manage the, to last the whole episode without the mince pie? No, it's there, anemically unconsumed, yes. Um, baby is due uh, soon. I, I don't know. I, you'll know about it when it arrives, but uh, mid-Feb. Um, yes, David Stevenson, you're very welcome. Everyone, thanks thanks, thanks, everyone in the chat. Um, I, I, this is, oh my goodness, it's an hour 40 long. Oh, I thought it was going to be a short one. It was not a short one. At least I didn't say at the start. Right, anyway, I'm going to clear off. You lovely lot. Have a nice... I mean, have a nice Christmas. It's going to be... It'll be after Christmas next time I see you. It's the 21st now. Everyone, have a lovely Christmas. Have a lovely break. Where Christmas, you know, whether it's whatever you're doing, whatever holiday, you know, if you're like me, you don't particularly give a stuff about Christmas, but you enjoy the holiday and you enjoy New Year and you enjoy seeing family then, um, uh, or, or and friends and having a general break. Have a good break. Enjoy your... Please be rested. For those of you who are not resting because you're out working or you're putting a shift in if you're on call, um... 
love to you and take care of yourselves. Um, I will see you. It's not going to be the end of the year because we've got one more before the end of the year. I'll see you for the next episode uh, in a week and it'll be a, a live one. Take care yourselves. Enjoy Sherry. Get sloshed. Take care. Bye. Cheerio.